Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the Kinetic Life Podcast, brought to you by Kinetic Renew. This podcast is dedicated to helping you find your way to your dreams, your goals, and your success. We'll be fueling that with key information on topics like health, science, tech, and lifestyle, coated with a few laughs along the way. In this episode, a straw made out of ice. Satisfying or frustrating? Silence is golden. The brain benefits of the silent treatment. Teenage brains versus social media. Guess who's gonna win? Is it true you can live longer just by drinking tap water? Yep. Fat, obese, and stupid may all be brain functions. Your appendix, do you really need it? Yep. And your gut loves you for it. Plus, a few helpful tips and tricks to help you on your journey. And now we begin. Here's Michael Chalavutis and Dr. Mark Hertzberg. Welcome back, everyone, to another exciting episode of the Kinetic Life Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Chalavutis, with my good friend, Dr. Mark Hertzberg. Hello, out there in podcast land. Mark, have you ever uh, seen the attempt at a more biodegradable straw? They have those paper straws or cardboard and you're good for about three or four sips and then they kind of just melt apart. Well, they yes, melt, they and just then kind of fall apart. you're picking gunky paper out of your teeth. Yeah, it's like the same thing as using a plastic straw, but you don't take the, the paper wrapper off and you just throw it in the water. Right. So, uh, if they put the, the plastic straw in a paper wrapper, do they put the paper straw in a plastic wrap? Well, that would make sense, right? It's about as sense as everything else they do. We need someone to come along and kind of ice this whole situation for us. Ah, so stainless steel straws. Okay, so, oh, Swami, do you have anyone who may have come up with a wonderful solution? Ah, we do. Apparently the new thing is now ice straws. Ooh. And do you want to tell me what an ice straw is? Imagine an ice cube in the shape of a straw with a hole in the middle so you could enjoy your refreshing beverage while it is cooled on the way up to your mouth, making it extra delicious. So save on ice. You don't even need ice in the glass. You have the straw. The straw is going to cool on the way up. And you don't have to worry about uh, the losing the straw when it falls into the drink because it froze to your lips. <laughs> yeah, and you're not, well, I'd say... Th- you- you're saving the sea turtles in the sense of the plastic won't be in the oceans, but uh, you also have to, you know, that compressor needs energy to make the ice. So uh, it's a better trade-off, though. I'd say, in the end, much better for the environment. Right. So what they were doing is they made a silicon mold, and you put water in it, and these freeze pretty quickly, and you could also freeze them, pull them out, and keep them in the freezer so you can make a whole bunch. And of course, uh, you could don't even have to use water. You could use whatever it is you're going to drink. So just like with ice cubes, it doesn't melt and dilute. It just is more of the same. Of course, once you start with one, the clock is ticking because it will be melting. So you can't like nurse a drink with this straw for three hours. Well, yeah, I mean, also... Oh. It's situation dependent. You're in the 122 degree Vegas sun at the pool. The straw is wonderful, but you, you, you really have a short period of time before that straw no longer exists. 
On the flip side, I'm in northern Maine during the winter. Outdoors, sunny. Yeah, or even indoors. I just came in from the outdoors and I'm have a nice chill. The last thing I want is a ice straw. Oh, don't start me on that. Uh, it's great to have cold stuff when you're cold, but that's a whole other podcast. So, but in the short term, I think this is a wonderful and ingenious idea. It, it, the practicality is a little questionable. You, you can't be serving them at McDonald's or Starbucks. Right. Not, but. Yeah, they're not going to have all those. And that's also, uh, uh, the. It, it's probably better for a milkshake where it'll last much longer. Mm. Than, and what if you have someone who doesn't like ice in their drinks? Well, I guess you're not going to make everyone happy. No, but it's a nice lifestyle idea. What this reminds me of is a long time ago, you know, sometimes you get those cubes, uh, like fancy cubes in a bar. In a bar there's very little ice in this ice cube. It's thin, it's walled, and has a hole through the middle. We, and I've in the past I've got someone that was like elongated and I used it as a straw. So huh. uh, I've had the accidental straw formation. Interesting. And I know uh, looking at least on the um, on the website, which we could attach the link into the podcast. But it was I think three different sizes. There's some kind of like traditional uh, cocktail, which was thinner, and then I guess the. Bu- uh, bubble tea one. I think that they was said, even really. Yeah, th- there were two lengths that had the same thickness, and then one that was a, th- a thicker one. A, a nice girthy one. Yeah, like soup can or I don't know. Maybe like if you have a thick milkshake, you want a wider straw. So now that I think we have sucked all we can out of that uh, topic, maybe we should just keep quiet. Success is falling nine times and getting up ten. John Bon Jovi. Failure is success if we learn from it. Malcolm Forbes. One minute success pays the failure of years. Robert Browning. Can a little bit of quiet time help your brain? Well, I found giving people the silent treatment can be golden. No, that just festers anger. But actual silence has been uh, shown to provide a mental improvement. And actually, a excessive amounts of loud noises have been shown to increase blood pressure, you know, cause sleep issues, increase heart disease. Uh, and through a more recent study, they showed that about two hours worth of silence per day uh, will not only help with, you know, reducing these chronic issues um, and chances of having heart disease and improving sleep quality, but it will also lead to the formation of new cells in your hippocampus. The hippocampus is a region of your brain known for memory. So if you're silent, maybe you'll remember some things. Right. Now, the fun thing about this is the original tests they were doing were the effects of all different types of noise. Now, I think they were looking at, you know, there's noise that's irritating, noise that's too loud, noise that comes on shockingly. Then there's soothing noise, you know, different types of music, uh, white noise. And they were looking for what noise could be beneficial as opposed to we know how harmful a lot of noises can be. 
and they weren't looking for silence. So I think it's kind of like when they were measuring brain activity, it occurred to someone, wait a second, we're getting our best results in between the sounds. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So then they started focusing on silence uh, or listening closely for the Mm -hmm. silence. The the increase in brain activity during the silent time. Right. Well, one thing is there's kind of like a lot of parts of the brain and senses also, they have a minimum firing. They're always going to be doing some working. So what happens, one thing that's a good thing about silence is other than the peacefulness and serenity may help, just like some of the products by our sponsor, Kinetic, but when you list, when you have nothing to listen to, the brain, the mind starts listening to itself. It's, mm. Now, some people, there can be demons there, but for most of the subjects, <laughs> they finally could clear their thoughts and think what they want to end. It was a very uh, nice experience for the brain. And weirdly enough, we're recording this when uh, Aaron Rodgers came out of his all-blackness retreat for a few days, <laughs> wondering if the silence did any good. It helped him uh, <laughs> formulate his future plans. Mm. He may have been ahead of the curve on this. <laughs> now, it makes me think about you know, how much your brain does while you're sleeping and how key that is. Um, well, I wonder if... Now, for those who live in the city and there's constant noises, especially while they're sleeping, how much does that affect the brain and and brain growth? I also think it depends on what kinds, because when we think of uh, places in a quiet suburb inside a house with Mm -hmm. real silence, that's not natural. In a farmhouse, you know, go back... You know, and and not some, you know, millionaire ranch today, but like you're hearing a lot of sounds from the farm all night long in nature. You you know, for all the years, there's noise all night long. I mean, when you get those things that make the nice noises, you heard the rain, you heard the ocean, you heard the crickets, you heard. So absolute silence was never a possibility, actually, until modern times. So I think there's a balance of like what you consider pure silence and then almost uh, tranquil noise. Because like I said, most people do listen to, it help them sleep or listen to, you know, sounds of the rainforest or sounds of you know, rainstorm or, you know, vo- right. you know, uh, So depending on where you are in the city, you might have a fairly steady background noise that's comforting white noise because it keeps the shocks out. Or you could hear people screaming at each other or, uh, you know... Uh, not the type of steady humming right background noise. Uh, so, but hey, you could be in the farm and hear a coyote attack the cattle in the middle of the night. Uh, and that sound, make other that noise. sounds like a, a perfect study. Mm-hmm. The effect of the brain. Long-term study in someone living in a busy, you know, metropolitan area. Someone in the suburbs, and then someone that sleeps in a. Sound deprivation chamber every night. Ooh. You know, I used to work in a place and they had built an auditory thing. It was like a 10 foot on each side cube. And you went in and it was extremely silent. And I never saw the auditory guy there. But every once in a while, like on a lunch break, I would just go in there and shut the door. (laughs) There actually is some, I remember reading it a while ago, this is a complete aside, but a 
like the most extreme soundproof room possible and it looks crazy this room and it's almost uncomfortable to be in there but it's like so silent that you have to sit in there for a short period of time apparently it's like you go crazy a voice in my head told me that there's an anecdotic chamber anecdotic anecdotic it's like from an anecdote but pronounced a little differently anecdotic and it's used for testing microphones Uh, I guess you want absolute silence if you're talking really high-end microphones. uh, You need absolute silence so then you could test the effect, I guess, of literally the pressure waves of sound uh, to judge it. But uh, the voice in my head, I should say, is our sound expert and producer. And I was going to mention that when Mike said, you know, absolute silence can drive you crazy, I know that our producer in his career has worked very hard to build unbelievably silent rooms for recording. And, well, I wonder we should test if it drove him crazy or not. (laughs) Well, if it is true that only short periods of time could drive you crazy, I wonder if it would ever use as like a, you know, weird torture, you know. There's waterboarding and then there's a silent room. You can't even hear your own thoughts. Wait, but in a silent room, I would think the other way around. Do your own thoughts become loud trumpeting? <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. And as I said, a lot of people don't really want to meet themselves that well. Yeah, it's crazy spikes and everything. Yeah, yeah it's that's a, a weird looking thing. This is one. Ooh. Here's another one. Different type. But same result. If When you sit there... If you sit there, I think it's after 30 seconds or a minute, you can hear the blood pumping through your body. Through your yeah. Brain. yeah, that I know. You hear hidden. the fluids in your body, and it drives people crazy. Oh, I hear I it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, I think it's time to silence this conversation. Mm-hmm. The Kinetic Life Podcast is sponsored by Kinetic Renew. With benefits like stress and anxiety relief that doesn't knock you out. So get on with your day with Renew in liquid or gel caps. Visit KineticLife.com now and try it. That's K-I-N-E-T-I-Q Life.com right now. We all know social media uh, can have a profound effect on individuals, but is it true that social media is changing the brains of teenagers? Uh, I'm on Facebook right now and Twittering. I I can't listen to you. Uh, Give me a minute. (laughs) Yeah, people seem to be a little preoccupied with things like that. Yeah, especially during those developmental times in our lives uh, where your brain is shaping and molding and forming and... I mean, the brain, I believe, is not fully developed until, until like, 26, I think is the what I've heard. So when you're 14, 15, 16, uh, what's going on in your life is having a large impact on how you're being shaped. And unfortunately, the teens these days are being engulfed in social media, whether it's Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter. Uh, there's probably five other platforms I've never even heard of, too, that are popular at this point. And it, it's beyond that. People who are 30 now, in their formative years, this came along, and they got hooked on it. But people who are under 20, 
they don't know anything else. This is existence of social media. Oh, geez. The, uh, and one of the things, it uh, seems to have, it's kind of like a lot of other addictions. When you really get down to it, you, you change your whole, or your whole, it's not even changing their mindset. Their mindset evolved for this, but they, uh, uh, so they have no real interactions, but they just have the interaction online of, I got a whole bunch of names here that liked me or didn't like me, follow or didn't follow, and they need it. Social gratification, aka social they, reward. Right, they have no sense of self and internal, like I wanna do this and I'm gonna do it well and I don't care what people think. It's all, I need a hit of everybody saying they approve of what I just said. So this and, was a three year study and they looked at the brains of teenagers. Um, and they found out there was an increase in sensitivity of the brain in a region that's coding for uh, social reward, which makes sense. So it's not only it's they they thrive on the social reward. And the funny thing was that while this interaction, social media abuse has altered the brain to adjust their being more sensitive towards social reward, uh, TV did the exact same thing. But video games and computer use, which is interesting because I'm not sure how most people at their age are being, if they're on a computer, they're probably on social media. Uh, Both video games and computer use did not make this change the brain. Yeah, well, I think by computer use, they mean using the computer, not... So Excel spreadsheets? Not uh, that would be one. Now, video games are the opposite of social media in many ways, even if you're doing online with a lot of people. Because in a video game, you have a task and you accomplish it. So Mm. as opposed to, I want people to say they liked what I did and I'm good, this uh, video game is you have a challenge and you accomplish it. Success is because you had success, not because you got people to say you're okay. Oh, I never looked at it that way. And I agree, that makes sense. I mean, there's probably some negative aspects of video games too, but the fact that there is some sort of goal or task involved in the process, uh, it might affect, well, other areas of the brain is not affecting the area of the brain that they're looking at related to social uh, reward. Right, and it's objective accomplishments. You get to the next level or you don't. You win or you don't. The You don't get an attendance trophy in a video game. Participation. <laughs> But then they had to go and do one thing with some going, okay, I get to call them morons. They started saying that does the social stuff make these people extroverts or are extroverts more called into the social stuff? They have no clue what an extrovert really is because these people, first of all, they're dividing that if you deal with people, you're an extrovert and if you uh, avoid people, you're an introvert. Mm, and that, exactly. that classifies, cut things, in, and that's insane. Most people have a, are not really one or the other, but a true extrovert, it's not that he or she likes people so much, it's that he doesn't care what you think or she doesn't. They're going to do what they're going to do, loud and in public, if that's where they are. An introvert, whether they're alone or they're in the people, just keeps to themselves. An introvert is scared of judgment. An extrovert doesn't care. An extrovert is not searching for other people's approval. Uh, as far as that, there are people who might seem extroverted because they will scream out things hoping for approval. Most uh, hecklers at comedy clubs 
are hoping what they're doing is I don't have the guts to get up there and tell jokes because when I'm not good, people will say I'm not good. So I'm pretending not to be making jokes, but I'm hoping people laugh. So there's a uh, kind of I, I, I want to be out there, but I'm cowardly of opinion. So uh, there are all different things that will lead to that type of behavior. But the true extrovert who just does things doesn't care what you think. So you're saying is social media giving a outlet to the introvert or is it creating more introverts, you're saying? Well, I'm saying I'm not saying I'm, I'm thinking bringing in extrovert introvert is just a wrong way of describing paradigm it, yeah. for this. Success is how high you bounce when you hit bottom. George S. Patton. Success is often achieved by those who don't know that failure is inevitable. Coco Chanel. Failure is the condiment that gives success its flavor. Truman Capote. Apparently hydration is affecting your aging and your health. The health I could agree with. The aging I didn't know, I somewhat knew, but this is, you know, outside of hydration being great for your skin health. Um, they looked at, well, they looked at hydration based off of markers of the amount of sodium levels in your blood. And that, then they took that marker and said that when that marker is lower, that there's an increased chance of dementia and heart disease and other chronic diseases. And then they, from there, just said, okay, well, if you're more hydrated, you're less likely to get these diseases. Right. They found a definite correlation between the concentration of sodium and what they're basically saying is it's not how much salt you eat, it's how much water you have to handle it. That if you're under, basically if you have enough water, you'll maintain the proper sodium level. And if you are really dehydrated, you can't. And if the sodium level's too high, it's a marker of poor hydration. And then they found correlations with lots, dementia, coronary problems, kidney problems, I assume kidney problems before everything else. A bunch of aging and disease markers seem to be. So I think we can basically sum this up uh, in the words of Professor Frankenstein's creature, fire bad, water good. <laughs> exactly. Now, I think there's a lot of dispute out there. What's the exact number per day? I've heard everything was it like a half an ounce per pound of body weight or something ridiculous, but... Um, if you feel thirsty, the body is telling you get water. If you keep fighting it when you feel thirsty, you're dehydrated. If you pour water in when you're not thirsty because you think there's a number, there can be problems from overhydration. Yeah, I heard you. I mean, that obviously people listen to your body, but I think I always go into the basic pee test. <laughs> what colors of you as you urine? And there are these people on YouTube because you can say anything. Who have these whole things that. You can't tell when you need water. You can't tell when you're thirsty. Don't listen to idiots. 
just because they're saying this on YouTube and they claim to have a title, you know that you know when you're thirsty. Don't believe them when they tell you you don't. <laughs> Unfortunately, there's more dumb people out there telling people what to do than actual smart people. Hmm. From YouTube through politics. <laughs> Nobody ever went broke underestimating the intelligence of the public. <laughs> Many of life's failures are people who did not realize how close they were to success when they gave up. Thomas Edison. Success does not consist in never making mistakes, but in never making the same one a second time. George Bernard Shaw. Sometimes a noble failure serves the world as faithfully as a distinguished success. Edward Dowden. Speaking of stupid. Ooh. Disruption in brain cells that regulate uh, how you eat can uh, make you eat too much. Uh, basically, what uh, was going on here is uh, when you eat, I think in this case of talking fats in particular, there are certain uh, cells in the brain that basically are reacting to it, and uh, they will uh, kind of count it, and then at a certain point, they are telling you you've had enough, and they correlate this with feeling full because... Uh, and they don't go into this much because uh, there's a difference between having being hungry and having an appetite. Sometimes your stomach is empty and you feel a little hungry, but you can't think of what you want to eat. And sometimes you're fairly full, but you have a craving for something. Appetite is I'm getting signals like my blood is low in something that the body needs and I'll have a craving for a food that contains it, that's appetite. When you're more in the mood for one thing than another. Whereas hunger is simply, stomach's empty, it's starting to feel its own acids, it wants you to fill it. And there should be some coordination between these. But in any case, what they were finding is if uh, you ate too much and they were going into, I think, like five days, these regulators got even better at saying, I need you to feel full and stop eating this. Um, but then they hit a point like after 10 days that they started getting less effective and they just said, ah, forget it. I'm done. Eat what you want. So essentially it's like the negative feedback loop it just becomes destroyed after it's pushed to its limits. And then you got to wonder, is it just uh, thinking evolutionarily, this one was a hard one. Okay, number one, if I'm a polar bear, then uh, during the spring or, you know, the early uh, spring, when I want to eat normally, then it's good that after, you know, after the first days it says eat and stop. But if it's, oh, I, I might, wait, do polar bears hibernate? I'm thinking of ray, black bears, brown bears, grizzly bears. Sorry. But when it's time to build up fat, when they want, you know, for hibernation, then they're going to eat much more longer. And it would make sense for something to say, no more signaling, it's too much. I got to just 
get fat yeah. for the winter. So that would make sense, but could that apply to people? But the flip side is, maybe there's no evolutionary context. Maybe there's just not enough times in pre-industrial capitalistic world that people ever had that much to eat where it became an issue that the body was handling unbelievable amounts of uh, fat coming in for days on end. So it could be that just not adapted to handle this and at a certain point, the signaling, it could even be the signaling the new transmitters tire out. You've used them all. You've run out. You, <laughs> yeah, you, you broke the system. The, there's no more tread left on the brake pads. Yeah, and you just kind of push through. At what point, the car's just going to keep going because the brake pads are shot before they can be refreshed. Or some silence to recover from the Ooh. constant signal. Repeated failures are finger posts on the road to achievement. One fails forward towards success. C.S. Lewis. Even a mistake may turn out to be the one thing necessary to a worthwhile achievement. Henry Ford. It's hard to fail, but it's worse never to have tried to succeed. Theodore Roosevelt. Speaking of evolution, Mark. Ooh. People always say that you don't need the appendix. It's a vestigial organ. It's why is it still here? It's evolving away. We don't know. You know, years from now, we won't have the appendix anymore. But are they? Correct. Of course they're not. Oh, you want an explanation of that or just that you know that I like saying that? We're good. That's it. Okay. Well, then in the appendix to this discussion, (laughs) we can add in some actual information. Okay. Did you know that mammals have evolved an appendix or, and they have to, because it's slightly different, so they had to make a definition of what they call an appendix. Uh... But they evolved an appendix 29 separate times. So it's not like the first mammal had one and the mammals had it it after. It wasn't there. It developed time and time again. So at least for mammals, because I don't know why they said mammals. Is it only mammals or they were only checking mammals for this? I think they only checked mammals. That's what it seems to be. My first guess would be. Uh, But what an appendix is, is... Uh, when you, if you have, it's almost like uh, pit row in the racetrack. You have the whole track, so from the stomach you go through the intestines, and it's one long path. You don't have to figure out like a maze. Do I go right or left here? And then the appendix is right at the beginning, one little spot off of it. Mm-hmm. Okay, that is not on the main route. It's a side thing. It's uh, like the car pulls off the racetrack yeah, for a, the pit stop. The pit stop, uh, is it on the beginning of the ascending uh, large intestines? That uh, sounds possible. So, uh, but I don't have a cadaver here to do my anatomy. Uh, we have a producer. Refresher. 
So, but uh, we don't. We don't. The I don't. I don't have my can opener. Ah. Uh. So, okay. This. The, oh, now they said it evolved twenty nine times, and it started disappearing in certain. Way less. So occasionally it became less important and started disappearing, but way less than it appeared. And that's interesting because if it uh, one ancestor animal has it and everyone else has it, then it appeared once and could disappear many different times. Yeah. So it's impressive to have appeared many more times than it disappeared. The uh, And they think they found a use other than a good procedure to build. Uh, <laughs> inside of it, they found two kinds of things. Lots of sh- densely packed immune cells of different types. And when they were describing it, I couldn't tell. They seemed to be saying uh, not that this was like part of the immune system, but more like the, a waste basket for used up immune. So maybe it's a processing center because you can't just keep pouring more and more waste into it. And they yeah. didn't talk about it being anything to be used. But, or maybe it's food for the next thing I'm going to say. They found a reservoir of the good gut biome. So it could be like a backup disk for your computer's memory when you have to wipe it because you got a virus. Which you makes have a sense. backup. We talked about how important the gut biome is on all areas of health from immune to cognitive. And you know what? Even if you live a healthy lifestyle, at some point in your life, more often than not, you get some sort of, you know, diarrhea from listeria or some other bacterial viral yeah, bacterial viral infection that ends up cleaning out your gut. And this is your body's backup, so it's not like you're having to start fresh. It's like, okay, let's take out the backup reserves and start repopulating what was already wiped out. Yeah. Otherwise, a uh, certain antibiotic treatments would kill you, unless you had a fecal transplant. Mm. (laughs) So this, the appendix is helping you avoid fecal transplants, baby. Yeah. And look, I guess... Well, you could survive without an appendix. Yes, you can. uh, That obviously is playing a bigger role than you thought originally. But I do believe they said that uh, they did tests that from certain things, recovery was way slower without an appendix. Recovery from, uh, uh, you have to use of antibiotics or some sort of food poisoning. Right, so one of two things. It could be that they gave cases where it was... Not wiped out entirely, but wiped way down. Or it could also be that uh, without an appendix, if you're eating enough of the right kind of, you know, probiotics things, that you will slowly regenerate it. Yeah. But uh, you know, there could be problems from how slow it is. Yeah. No. This is uh, like I said, you can survive without it, but it is seems to, from what their study, play a much bigger role in. Helping you improve post uh, diarrhea, post uh, you know uh, antibiotic use, post food poisoning. Well, for those who are a hundred years old and remember this commercial from probably before you were born, is there anything worse than diarrhea in the rain? And they show someone like at a bus stop being poured on, and. Uh, I'm going, yes, what? diarrhea in the rain without an appendix. 
I, I have to ask, what was this commercial for? Was uh, it like a Pepto-Bismol thing? Or? Something. It was not for adult diapers, which is what it should have been. That's interesting. Marketing yeah, group. It, it was something like that. Always bear in mind that your own resolution to succeed is more important than any other. Abraham Lincoln. Treat failure as a lesson on how not to approach achieving a goal, and then use that learning to improve your chances of success when you try again. Failure is only the end if you decide to stop. Richard Branson. Well, on that note, Mark... Uh, we're going to end on the appendix. A lot of books on, do. Yeah, <laughs> and, and the diary and the rain. Mm. Uh, until next time, I'm your host, Mike Shalavudis. Uh, thank you again for all the support. Um, any feedback or questions, uh, please reach out to us at podcast at kinetic, K-I-N-E-T-I-Q, life.com. Like, subscribe, share with your friends, your family. Uh, thank you again. I'm your host, Mike Shalavudis. And I, wait for it, and Mark Hertzberg signing off, telling you to have a pleasant rest of the day, rest of the night, or... A nice rest. Until next time, take care, everyone. Bye. The Kinetic Life Podcast is sponsored by Kinetic Renew. Kinetic Renew is a four-ounce shot of all-natural ingredients that deliver some amazing benefits, like improved mental clarity, long- and short-term focus, and improved memory and cognition. Plus, Kinetic Renew improves mood with the added benefits of anti-stress and anti-anxiety. Here's what people are saying. I drink a bottle of Kinetic Renew, and I'm in a better mood. It's like waking up on the right side of the bed. <laughs> it's great. My mental focus is clearly better. I do notice that I have better clarity. Definitely improves my mood for sure. It reduces my stress. Visit KineticLife.com today. Log on now and use promo code POD1 for 30% off. That's 30% off your order when you use promo code POD1. KineticLife.com. K-I-N-E-T-I-Q Life.com. Do it now. You're going to love Kinetic Renew. Thank you for listening to the Kinetic Life Podcast. Catch a new show every other Thursday. You'll find us everywhere you can listen to a podcast. And remember, be safe, have fun, and go for your dreams. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not be considered professional advice. All comments, jokes, views, and ideas expressed are those of the hosts or guests and do not represent any company or organizations with whom they may be affiliated. Always make sure to consult your own physician before starting any new diet, supplement, or exercise routine. Oh, and there's one more thing. If you're working on something that you really care about, you don't have to be pushed. The vision pulls you. Steve Jobs.